You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in. It's NFL Draft Week. Yesterday, we held our final seven-round mock draft for the Seahawks. Over the next three days, we are going to be dishing out our thoughts on how the first round is going to play out. Even though the Seahawks don't have a pick in the first round, we're going to look at all 32 picks and a few trades mixed in there. And we're going to see which players land with which team in Cleveland at the draft this week. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We've talked about it ad nauseum to this point, but when the draft opens on Thursday night, Seahawks will not have a selection in the first round pick. They traded it away to the Jets to get Paul Adams last July, and they're only going to have three total selections, easily the smallest amount for any of the 32 NFL teams. And there's a number of reasons why they're in this position. They obviously were in win-now mode. They're a team that expects to contend for Super Bowls, and getting a player like Jamal Adams, they weren't going to get that type of a talent at the end of the first round where they normally pick. And so John Schneider was willing to roll the dice. But ultimately, Rob, we, there was an article today from John Boyle of Seahawks.com. He outlined a lot of the specifics behind this. But the Seahawks, their strategy this entire time, it seems like adding veterans has really been the go-to move. If there's a year to kind of tap out of the draft, this is the year to do it because of all of the scouting-related issues created by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I mean, Corbin, this is an unprecedented draft. I mean, it's just been obviously everything has been impacted by by COVID. And, um, you know, with, with the scouts ha- not having the ability to go into the, the different college buildings for a long part of the year, um, for the, the number of senior all-star games basically being cut in half, for they're not having any type of athletic testing during the combine, it has just made an already difficult process infinitely more difficult. Um, and so I think that it made sense to to basically try to opt out a little bit on this draft class, especially if you were in a position like the Seahawks were, where you have a team that is built to win right now, and you are, are able to acquire a player who makes the immediate impact the way that Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap did for the Seahawks. You know, I think that, you know, for, for the, the Seahawks fans out there who are kind of bemoaning the fact that Seattle is not going to be selecting in the first round this year, you know, just know that Jamal Adams would probably be the first defensive player overall off the board this year. Um, he certainly would be the first defensive back, and there's no way that he would be available at number 23 overall. Um, and the impact that he made for Seattle a year ago, I thought right off the bat justified their move. And again, that's all in a normal year. This year, with all the complications with COVID, I think that it just made that move that much more savvy on the part of the Seahawks. But not just the Seahawks. I, I give the credit to the Rams as well and the move that they made to trade their first-round selection and get Jalen Ramsey as well. It, this is not something that's just for the Seahawks. I think it's it, it's it's for, it's for um, some foresight being shown by some of the general managers that have teams that are playoff contenders right now. 
Yeah, you are seeing more of that around the league where teams are giving up first-round picks to get proven commodities to add to their rosters, the teams that are in the hunt for playoff spots and competing for Super Bowls. And it's especially prevalent in the NFC West. And we also saw a change-up. We're going to be discussing this in our mock draft here over the next few days. In today's episode in particular, the 49ers moving up to the number three spot. It really is an arms race in the NFC West. And for the fans that have been anguished by the fact that Seahawks only have three picks, they have to remember that Jamal Adams is not the only player they traded for that is still going to be on the roster. They were able to re-sign Carlos Dunlap, and they traded a seventh-round pick for. And they just traded a fifth for Gabe Jackson, who all of us expect to be an upgrade at either the left guard spot or at the right guard position if they move Damian Lewis into center, regardless of where he's playing at. He is going to be an upgrade for their offensive line. And so they were willing to give up those picks when they just don't feel the information is out there that they would normally have scouting and evaluating these prospects coming in. And I thought Boyle pointed out a couple things that maybe we haven't touched on as much on this show. There are a lot of seniors that ended up getting an extra year of eligibility because of COVID that went back to school. And those players would have been in the NFL draft this year. Now they're going to be in the 2022 draft as a result. So the player pool is significantly smaller than it normally would be. And so the expectation is next year is going to be a much better overall class in terms of depth, at least, because a lot of those players will be coming out and will be in the NFL draft. And the other thing that's just worth noting, the medical situation. Teams just don't have the medical background on players. Normally, the NFL Combine, you have 350 players going there, and you can get medicals on all of them. But with the Combine being canceled, they had a replacement Combine of sorts where they brought in some players for medicals, but it wasn't near as effective, and teams had to do some of their own work just to get some medical information on players. It was extremely challenging. So, Teams are just in the dark, and so I think John Schneider looked at it as, I'm going to get some players I know are proven commodities, and I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to trade away some of these picks that I normally value immensely, and we're just going to do things a bit differently because I don't feel like we are going to be as well-prepared as normal entering this draft. Yeah, I think that's all really good points, and I think that the other just kind of – Something that we haven't talked about enough, frankly, is, is just the human element of it. Uh, you know, the, the Seahawks lost a, a very good scout in Scott Fitter, now the general manager uh, of the Carolina Panthers. So that is one of the, the more trusted talent evaluators on Seattle staff. They are bringing in a new offensive coordinator here in Shane Waldron. They've had very little time for their scouting staff to really kind of pick Shane Waldron's brain and be able to attack this draft class the same way. So again, I, I think that normally those things happen all the time and teams, of course, are, are going to be asked to, to make those adjustments. But this is not, again, a normal year. And so when you have the ability to make some trades for some proven veteran players, I mean, just think about how many Pro Bowls we're talking about between Jamal Adams, Carlos Dunlap, and Gabe Jackson compared to, let's face it, the kind of, you know, the, the track record that Seattle has shown over the last couple of years in the draft has been less than developing pro bowlers one after the other, after the other, if you can get proven commodities, why not do so? Especially again, when you have a limited uh, window here in which to compete, uh, you know, Russell Wilson is basically at the, you know, at the apex of his career, Bobby Wagner, same kind of thing. Let's go now rather than trying to rebuild the roster. And I think this sets up, depending on how this next year goes, 
we're hoping that things continue to trend more towards being normal, that this could be a more traditional college football season and that scouts would be able to go to games and teams would be able to talk to players and, and see what kind of characters that they have. Th- those are things you just didn't have the opportunity to do this year. Everybody's going to be hoping that it reverts more back to what we're used to seeing. And then next year, the Seahawks are going to have more draft picks available to them, most likely. They're still going to be without a first, but they will have their second. They will have their third, most likely, barring another trade. They're going to have a bunch of picks on day three as well. So they're going to have more flexibility in a draft that they, quite frankly, hope to be much more informed on, have more medicals, better evaluation of players. So really, this isn't a surprise. We saw this coming last year with the Adams trade. It's not surprising that they've made the deals they've had to cut down the number of picks that they have, and that's why they're in this position. And I wouldn't be surprised if they exit with less than five picks, which would be a new team low for the number of picks made in a year since they became franchise in 1976. We'll just see what happens when we return from the break. The Seahawks don't have a first-round pick, but there are a lot of NFC West ramifications in this year's first round Rob and I are going to be conducting a first-round mock draft spread out over the next three days. We're going to be doing picks number one through 16 on today's show. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This first week has tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on, and the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of the UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. We've been excited about this. We did it last year. Last season, we had a first-round pick for the Seahawks, so there was a bit more intrigue for Seahawks fans. This year, the Seahawks do not have a first-rounder. Obviously, traded it away as part of the trade to get Jamal Adams last July. The New York Jets now have that pick at number 23 overall. Nonetheless, we're going to be conducting a mock draft spread out over the next three episodes where we are going to be making all 32 selections, maybe a few trades thrown in there, a chance for fans to get an idea what kind of prospects are going to be going here in the first round. And there's some major NFC West ramifications, most notably the 49ers trading up to pick number three. A lot of intrigue about which quarterback that they are going to pick as the heir apparent to Jimmy Garoppolo. One of those big splashes, again, this division has been an arms race then it's just continued to accelerate this offseason. Yeah, it, it really has. And I'm happy that you mentioned the, the trade possibilities, Corbin, because as we start talking about, uh, you know, who we think that the, you know, that the, all these different NFL teams are going to be selecting here in our mock draft, you know, we, we do have the ability to be able to kind of work some trades here and try to make their, our mock draft that much more, um, you know, 
uh, accurate in, in what things are actually going to look like. Because, of course, we haven't had a first round, um, at least not in the 21 years that I've been covering the NFL draft, go by without having at least some first round picks. So I got news for you, but I think there's going to be a couple of trades here in the mock draft that we're going to be, uh, you know, breaking down here together. We're, we're going to be talking about the first half of this draft today, as you mentioned, uh, one through eight and, and nine through 16. And then we'll be breaking down, uh, you know, the, the next to uh, the next half of the draft tomorrow uh, in our second and third quarter. So with uh, without any further ado, number one overall pick, Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. I don't know that we have to have too much uh, conversation about this one, Corbin. I think that they're going to be going with the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, as everybody else is, uh, has been talking about basically all year long. Unless you had any other thoughts on that, I was going to push it back over to you with the New York Jets at number two overall. Yeah, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Mentioning the first quarter, how different this draft is going to be, I expect there's going to be a lot of craziness. There's going to be a lot of big surprises, but there's not going to be one at pick number one. This has been known since the Jaguars qualified for the first pick, that they were going to get Trevor Lawrence. And so that one's pretty safe. We know he's number one quarterback in this draft class. He's been the number one quarterback in high school at the college level, now the number one draft pick. Jacksonville's expecting he's going to become a superstar down there in Florida. And so he's the first pick at number two overall, the Jets on the clock. This is another team that when you look at the national narrative, it seems like it's been pretty obvious who they are going to pick. A lot of people view Zach Wilson as QB number two in this class. I think he is, but barely over Justin Fields, who's my number three quarterback in this class. I think the Jets are going to go with Wilson. They're going to try to bring him in as somebody that can start from day one for them. They need a quarterback after trading Sam Darnold to the Panthers, a player that's kind of got an Aaron Rodgers type skill set a little bit with his ability to create outside of the pocket, improvise a little bit. And he's kind of got a little bit of that cockiness to him, the way that he plays the game. And so I think he's got a chance to have success really quickly, even with New York having the number two pick and, and needing other pieces around him. They have a lot of draft picks to be able to do that after number two, including the former Seahawks pick at number 23. So I'm going to go with Zach Wilson here at number two. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think with Zach Wilson, he has the maturity that you're looking for at the quarterback position. He's, you know, he's a, he's a fun passer to watch. You, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers there. I mean, the, the 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 really quick release, the accuracy to all levels of the field, the mobility in and out of the pocket. Uh, all those things are, are, are traits that I really believe are going to help him be successful. Now, to me, the big question is, what is, are the New York Jets going to be able to build around him? Otherwise, I think the Jets could be in a very similar situation three, four years down the road as they were with Sam Darnold, who they just didn't surround him with enough uh, quality pass catchers, at least not in my opinion. And I think that Zach Wilson, he is going to be making, obviously, a huge jump from BYU to the AFC East Division. You have to around him with some talent uh, if you expect him to have that type of success. But I, I'm right there with you. I think that Justin Fields moving on to number three overall, the San Francisco 49ers. I think the Fields is the number two quarterback in this draft class, in my opinion. I like his upside even more than I do uh, with Zach Wilson. Uh, I think the 49ers are, are going to ultimately agree with taking a quarterback that, that has that type of upside. But, you know, that's the thing. What type of upside are you looking for? For you're looking for that dual threat quarterback that 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 uh, 
that Fields can be? Are you looking for a guy like a Trey Lance who may even have a higher upside, but at the same time has been competing against, you know, 17 games in his collegiate career, all against FCS competition? To me, what this is really going to come down to, Corbin, is, is that what are the 49ers going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo? If they keep Jimmy Garoppolo in the fold, then I think that you can go with one of these dual threat quarterbacks, um, you know, and allow him to earn that job. If, if they trade away Jimmy Garoppolo before they're on the clock, then it's going to be very clear, at least in my opinion, that the move is going to be for Mac Jones, uh, just because I think that he is ready to play right now. But at this point, I'm going with the player who I think is the best fit for their offense. I think is the best uh, quarterback that's on the board at this point, um, the best combination of talent right now uh, and then upside, and that being Justin Fields from Ohio State. I just don't see any way the 49ers are going to be passing on him. I know that all the national narrative, the things that have been said about the 49ers, everybody's pointing to either Mac Jones or Trey Lance, and maybe Lance ends up being the dual threat they want. I will make the argument that Lance might have the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this draft class, but we've talked about it before. Potential is a dangerous word. He's got to end up in the right situation. San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan would be very interesting. His system's so good, and he's got a reputation being able to work with quarterbacks, and so that would be intriguing, but I think Justin Fields has got to be the guy. I am not buying the idea that he is out of the discussion now. I think that he is going to be the guy that they pick. You traded up to number three for a reason, to get a dynamic playmaker, and that's what Justin Fields is. Now, at number four, I think a lot of people have been projecting the Atlanta Falcons to trade down, and I anticipate that they are going to try to do that, especially considering Matt Ryan still got some good football in him. Maybe they'll look at drafting somebody like Trey Lance for the future, but I think trading down is very much in the cards here. I think they're going to have a tough time, though, especially if Justin Fields is picked at number three by the 49ers. I'm not sure teams are going to be as overjoyed to trade up to number four for Lance, who's a bit of a project, or for Mac Jones, who might be pro-ready, but there's questions about what his ceiling looks like and doesn't have the mobility that some of the other quarterbacks in this class do. And so I think Atlanta is going to sit pat here, and they're going to get one of the best playmakers in this draft class, our first non-quarterback, Kyle Pitts, to me a generational talent at tight end. I think you keep Julio Jones. You put him and Ridley with the big tight end from Florida, and I think you've got an offense that has a chance to be one of the most explosive in the NFC in 2021. Yeah, it certainly could. I mean, if you believe in Matt Ryan, I mean, what a way to rejuvenate his career uh, by giving him a talent like Kyle Pitts. Um, You know, and I think that would be interesting. If Justin Fields is still on the board at number four overall, the Georgia native might be enough to convince the Falcons to go that direction. But with Justin Fields coming off the board at number three, Trey Lance would make some sense. I think a trade down makes some sense as well. But how do you you go wrong with a player like Kyle Pitts? So I I certainly uh, would agree with that move if that is, in fact, what Atlanta does. And and I think if they do that, we could see a little bit of a mini run here on those pass catchers. Um, and the Cincinnati Bengals at number five overall, I've been kind of pounding the table for a long time now that if, again, if you select a young quarterback, then you have to be able to surround him with talent. I like some of the receivers on Cincinnati's uh, on their roster. I have some concerns about their offensive line and think they would make some sense to take Penny Sewell. But at the same time, 
Jamar Chase is, in my opinion, a generational talent, very similar to Kyle Pitts. So with Pitts going off the board at number four overall, I think that the, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to reunite Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals. And at that point, they should be uh, you know, able to compete in, in that division immediately. I think that that's going to end up being the pick based on everything that I'm hearing, even though I think offensive line should be top priority when Joe Burrow's season was ended with a torn ACL last year. But I think Panay Suel is going to go to the Miami Dolphins at pick number six here. You, the two big-time skill players are off the board now with Pitts as well as Chase being drafted the two picks before. I still think Miami could improve pass protection for Tua, and so – I think Swell's a perfect pick for them. They're the number one tackle in this draft class. Upgrade your pass protection. So three picks there that I think could go pretty quickly once the Atlanta Falcons make their decision. Yeah, and I, I like the pick here with the Oregon tackle because I think that if you look at what Miami did, you know, they, they brought in um, the you know the offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson that basically was a bust from Tennessee a year ago, and so that is an indication that Miami is looking to upgrade at the right tackle position. They took Austin Jackson, um, the left tackle from USC, a year ago in the first round. You give Tua Tagovailoa those two bookend tackles, and then. I now you're doing something here, you know, and so to me that makes a lot of se- a lot of, uh, of sense for the Miami Dolphins uh, at that spot. And then, you know, I, I kind of teased before that I thought there was a chance that we could see some trades here. The Detroit Lions are up at number seven overall. They just made the the selection of or they made the trade for Jared Goff, and I think there's a possibility that they themselves might go for one of the young quarterbacks, but. The Denver Broncos feel like a team that are a little bit more in aggressive mode right now. They have not seen the play from Drew Locke to really get people excited. So maybe here at number seven overall, Detroit might be willing to trade back a couple of spots. Denver Broncos move up a couple of picks. I think that they would just be enamored with the physical upside of a Trey Lance. North Dakota State, I could see that being a relatively small area kind of a thing that might appeal to the folks in Denver, maybe not so much to the folks in San Francisco, the folks in New York or whatever the case, but a smaller media market might be the soft landing spot. I have the Denver Broncos moving up a couple of spots here and selecting the quarterback, Trey Lance at North Dakota State. This is brilliant because if the if the Broncos are going to move up, it's going to be in this situation. I don't see George Patton being – Uh, you know, a fan of trying to move up to number four or five. I don't think he wants to go that rich giving up picks to get a quarterback. But if Trey Lance, as I said, a very high upside quarterback is there at pick number seven, the Detroit Lions are in a position to get a nice little ransom for a team moving up a couple picks to get a quarterback because they don't necessarily have to get one after getting Jared Goff. And so I think this is exactly where Denver would try to do this to move up a couple spots trade away a couple other high picks to do so. Go get your future quarterback in Trey Lance, and you could still see what Drew Locke brings to the table this year. If you don't think Lance is ready, maybe you have trade bait for next year. You can recoup some of that draft capital that you just gave up. And so I really think that this is the ideal situation for the Broncos to do that. And so now we have four quarterbacks off the board. And with that trade, to wrap up our first segment here, now the Carolina Panthers are up, and this is a team that I think is going to be Very interesting to watch in the first round because you just traded away a second round pick to get Sam Darnold from the New York Jets. There's plenty of comments out there that they believe that they can put the right pieces and coaching around him for him to finally meet his potential 
in Carolina. He's going to have DJ Moore on the outside. He's got McCaffrey in the backfield. I think that the Panthers are going to be looking to add another weapon around him. If they had a chance at Trey Lance here, maybe they would consider drafting a quarterback. But I think the move that they made to bring in Darnold, they're going to want to add skill players around him. A couple of really good receivers still on the board here. A couple of Alabama receivers. I just think Jalen Waddle with his game-changing speed and playmaking ability, you put him with DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, now Sam Darnold can't be using, I don't have playmakers as an excuse anymore. If it doesn't work out in Carolina with those weapons around him, then he simply just wasn't good enough to cut it as a first-round bust. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. The, the fact that the Carolina Panthers lost Curtis Samuel in free agency, yep. um, the offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, I mean, he cut his teeth with LSU a year before, uh, you know, a couple of years before. They had such great talent uh, at the quarterback and wide receiver positions. Uh, I think that it makes a lot of sense for the Carolina Panthers just to stay where they are at that spot with the two choosing between those two Alabama wide receivers, as you just mentioned. I think that Jalen Waddle, his agility, his straight line speed to me would just open up Carolina's offense that much more. Then you said the big factor there, Corbin, they're going to get Christian McCaffrey back. And if you have that type of speed on the outside, that's just going to open up that much more for McCaffrey to absolutely explode for the Panthers. So, yeah, I think that that sets up pretty well. Uh, for Carolina with all those quarterbacks going off the off the board early. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to continue our first round mock draft picks number nine through 16. The Lions will be back on the clock after trading down two spots. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. It's time to continue our 2021 first-round mock draft. Obviously, no picks for the Seahawks in the first round after making the trade for Jamal Adams, but still a lot of NFC West ramifications. We already saw Justin Fields go to the 49ers at pick number three, so another dynamic dual-threat quarterback entering the division. We are now back on the clock, pick number nine, the Detroit Lions. Rob, you had the, the Denver Broncos. You had the Broncos trade up two spots to number seven, the Lions moving back two spots, and they're able to recoup a few extra picks. The Broncos are able to get their quarterback of the future in Trey Lance. Now the big question is, who does Detroit take at number nine? You and I both agreed there would be the same player at number seven. They can still get that player at number nine and give Jared Goff another playmaker. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I think that it makes sense for Denver to trade up to get the quarterback, for Detroit to drop down two spots, have both the Alabama receivers there. You know you're going to get one of them. I think that they get the better player, uh, frankly, and Devontae Smith fall in their lap right here. I, I just think that when you look at what Detroit did this offseason, they allowed Kenny Galladay to leave. They allowed Marvin Jones to leave. They're clearly just saying the reset button. 
um, at the receiver position. Go with the Heisman Trophy winner. I know there's questions about his size, but just put it on the tape. The guy's an absolute superstar. He, he plays the heart of a lion. I think that he'd fit in perfectly in Detroit. Dynamic speed, outstanding route runner, and, and just a lethal downfield threat. He knows how to get open. He plays bigger than his size. And so I love this pick. I agree with you, actually. I think Smith is the better NFL prospect. I think Waddle's going to be a really good player. But I think Smith in this offense, catching passes from Jared Goff, is going to be a lot of fun. This will be a good situation for him. It's weird saying that because Detroit has not had a lot of success in recent years. But you got to believe that Devontae Smith is going to be a nice selection for them, especially now that they've recouped a few other picks. They may be able to add some more players other positions to help them be competitive in the NFC North in 2021. At pick number 10, the Dallas Cowboys. This one's an easy one for me because if you remember the Seahawks-Cowboys game last year, their corners were getting burned to a crisp by Seattle's receivers. Russell Wilson threw a million touchdowns in that game. They did use a early draft pick last year on a corner. I think they need to do it again this year. And there's a couple of really good corners at the top of this class. I just think J.C. Horn, you're talking about a long, athletic playmaker, knows how to get his hands on the football, tough-minded kid who'll come up and hit you. To me, that is the type of corner the Dallas Cowboys, especially in Dan Quinn's defense, former Seahawks coordinator now in Dallas. I think Horn is the perfect fit that immediately makes that secondary much better moving forward. He's a playmaker. He's a trash talker. He's a fun player. He'd make a lot of sense for, for Dallas. Uh, you mentioned the, them using the second round pick on the corner a year ago. Um, and I, I wonder if maybe pairing him with the other Alabama corner, Patrick Sertan, would make some sense. But Horn has an upside uh, to him that I think is really exciting. It would intrigue Dan Quinn, and I think it might very much intrigue Jerry Jones as well. So it's an interesting selection. Well, you know, here we have the, the New York Giants are up next and I think that the way that the board has kind of fallen there's a lot of really good defensive players who are still up there I mean Sertan is one of them I just mentioned the linebacker Micah Parsons some of these edge rushers wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Giants do that but in similar situations we saw Denver Broncos being aggressive and training up for a quarterback I know that Bill Belichick has never selected a quarterback, not once in the first round in all of his 20 years in New England and his couple of years that he was in Cleveland as well. But he needs a quarterback. They got Cam, uh, you know, Cam, and then they've got, of course, Jarrett Stidham at the quarterback positions. And I just don't know that Cam Newton or Jarrett Stidham is the long-term answer in New England. I don't know that Bill Belichick thinks that either. I do think that Mac Jones has some Tom Brady-like elements to his play, similar to this being a spot where, where uh, you know, I thought there was it, it made sense for Denver to move up just a couple of spots. Uh, I think New England might consider that if they can get out of the top ten and not have to give up too many draft picks, then they might be able to trade up and, and still be able to get the quarterback. I've got the Patriots making the bold move of going up four spots uh, to number 11 overall, trading with the New York Giants and selecting the Alabama quarterback, Tom brady Light, Mac Jones. If Jones falls past pick number 10 and he's available, this is where I can see Bill Belichick and company pouncing. Because going from 15 up to like pick four, pick five is going to be extremely expensive. And I don't see the Patriots being willing to do that. But if Jones is available at 11, I was actually thinking this when you started mentioning, I'm like, this is where Bill Belichick is going to pounce. There's no way he's not going to move up here and get that quarterback. So this is a perfect fit. And for the New York Giants, you got a lot of good options. They're still on the board. And now you're able to add several picks 
from the New England Patriots. And so it's a win-win for both teams here. One gets their quarterback, the other one gets extra picks to continue supplementing their roster. At pick number 12, the Philadelphia Eagles on the clock, receiver is still a major need. They did pick Jalen Rager a year ago. The season before that, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, he has not done much at all. Rager showed some signs last year. He had an up-and-down injury-marred rookie season, but still a playmaker. He's only had one season. You're obviously not giving up on him. So I can certainly see the Eagles go to receiver again, but I think they also need to look at their secondary. Darius Slay was picked up a year ago, but get another corner to team up with him. And I think the fact that Sertan is still there at pick number 12, you go get the Alabama corner, another very athletic, physical, long-arm corner that can play in the rigors of the NFC East. I think you bolster your secondary, team him up with Darius Slay, this is a pick that's going to help the Eagles both now and in the future. Oh, I 100% agree. I think the Eagles have to be ecstatic uh, to have Sertan still available at this spot. Um, I, I think, that, as you mentioned with Darius Slay, you're going to have to have a corner uh, opposite him who is used to being in the fire. And with Patrick Sertan, who's been starting at Alabama all the last three years, as a true freshman walks in and starts for Nick Saban at Alabama, then he is as battle-tested as it gets. Um, so I, I think that this would be a slam-dunk selection uh, for the Eagles, even though I do agree with you, Corbett. I think that they, this is a club that would love to see one of those wide receivers fall into their lap as well. Um, you, you know that they want to be able to build around the young quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Um, but at the same time, the depth at wide receiver this year is so good that they might be able to just kind of push that need off a little bit, um, and especially with a player like Sertan available to them. To me, one of the easiest picks this entire draft is if the Los Angeles Chargers are sitting there at number 13 overall and the, and the tackle Rashawn Slater happens to fall into their lap, you know that they want to protect Justin Herbert. Left tackle is a huge gaping hole for the Chargers at, at this point. Slater is viewed as the best pass blocker in this entire draft class by a lot of people. I personally love the Oregon's offense tackle Penny Sewell, but at the same time, Slater again, his his light feet, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go with the Chargers, Stan Pat, number 13 overall, taking the Northwestern tackle, Rayshon Slater. There are plenty of scouts out there that have him as the number one tackle in this class, yeah. not Sewell. So this would be a nice value pick for them. Get a true franchise tackle to protect Justin Herbert. And the Chargers could be a team that really moves up in the standings and maybe gets back to the postseason in 2021. That's the type of move you're talking about making there. Good value at pick 13. Now at pick 14, the Minnesota Vikings on the clock, there are a number of intriguing players here for Minnesota. They could use some offensive line help, still some good tackles, a couple guards on the board that could make sense here. There's a couple centers even this early you might consider, but They've got their issues to deal with with their pass rush because they ended up trading in Gakwe after they got him away from the Jaguars. He's only with the team for half a season. Then they traded him to the Ravens. And they also had the injury situation with Daniil Hunter as well. And he missed all of last season. So I think they need to add a dynamic pass rushing presence off the edge to go with a healthy Daniil Hunter. So to me, Quiddy Pay out of Michigan is the perfect fit. And you want to talk about a guy that's got an incredible backstory ended up leaving a war, a war-torn country to come to the United States when he was a baby and ended up becoming one of the top pass-rushing prospects going into the NFL draft. So you got a great story, a guy that is going to be humbled. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder coming in. He's going to be ready to go for the Vikings. So 
I think you get that second pass rusher here to help get after Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, and the rest of the NFC North. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the head coach, Mike Zimmer, is you know truly a defensive-minded guy. I think that it had to just infuriate him to watch Minnesota's defense basically fall apart last year. And as you mentioned, Daniil Hunter is going to be coming back from Minnesota. I think that the pass rush is going to be greatly improved. But at the same time, with a guy like Pay, who has the physicality, has the backstory, the toughness that that, that that creates in a young man, I think that he is exactly the type of guy that Mike Zimmer might really, really like and, and would make some sense, give that team an awful lot of flexibility. So I agree with that selection. We talked about this before with the Giants trading down from number 11 overall to number 15 overall because there were so many good uh, defensive players. I wonder if Quiddy Pay wouldn't have been um, very much on, on their radar if, if he were available to them. But there's another dynamic edge rusher who is available uh, to them at this point, a younger player, a guy who's actually been more productive against better competition uh, in Aziz Ojolari. I just love his burst up field. I love the arm length. I love the fact that as a redshirt sophomore, Corbin, he he led Georgia in, in sacks uh, each of the last two years. Um, there has been some talk about his knee injuries. That's going to have to uh, get cleared here. But I see a defensive end who has the upside that the Giants and uh, their general manager, he loves his hog mollies. I think that he would absolutely be in love with this kid's upside. The only question I have there, there have been some reports that have surfaced that there are teams that are a little concerned with one of his knees. Now, I don't know how much validity there is to that, but again, this goes back to teams just kind of being in the dark on medicals in general. So if a team picks him at this stage of the draft, he obviously is a mid-first-round caliber talent, a big-time pass rusher, just a really good all-around defensive end. It would make a lot of sense if his medicals check out and the Giants absolutely, as good as their defense played last year, they need another guy that can pin his ears back and get after the quarterback off the edge. And that would certainly be provided here with this selection of Ojolari out of Georgia. And the last pick here for our part one of the mock draft, going back to the NFC West, if I'm the Arizona Cardinals right now, with the way this board has unfolded, I'm ecstatic because you've still got some offensive linemen on the board that could come in and maybe start day one, some defensive playmakers. I know that they picked Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson, kind of a hybrid safety linebacker last year. But in today's NFL, there's nothing wrong with having a couple guys like that. And there are some character concerns with this kid, but I think that you've got to go with Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. You're talking about a guy with sub 4-4 speed as a linebacker. You can blitz him. He can drop back in coverage. Elite athlete. Great tackling skills. As far as football skills, he's got top 10 talent. Again, there are some character concerns here, but I think at pick 16, if you couple Parsons with Isaiah Simmons, again, this is another thing that's going to give Seahawks fans nightmares because you're putting another versatile playmaker on Arizona's defense, and they've already added J.J. Watt to go with Chandler Jones in that front line. Suddenly, this is a vicious-looking defense. But to me, it's a home-run pick if you're Cliff Kingsbury and company. Yeah, I love that you mentioned Cliff Kingsbury because obviously an offensive-minded head coach there. Um, I, I think that just his – uh, you know, play calling, just his brilliance um, on the offensive side of the ball. When you couple that with uh, Kyler Murray and all the different talent they have on that side of the ball, their offense is going to be just fine. 
Um, I do think that they should try to improve their their offensive line uh, a little bit. But yeah, if you have a linebacker like Micah Parsons still on the board, then he is unquestionably the best player available at this point. And then just look at the division besides the Rams or besides the Cardinals. Excuse me, you have the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks who want to run the ball down teams' throats. Isaiah Simmons, as much as I like him as a linebacker, he's not that masher that Micah Parsons is. You combine those two players, then the Cardinals' defense really is a formidable unit to to complement their offense. So, yeah, I I think that the Cardinals would be ecstatic if Parsons is available to them at this spot and that he absolutely would be their selection. I'm looking forward to continuing this on our Wednesday show. We're going to have the second half of our mock draft and be starting at Number 17, the Las Vegas Raiders getting ready to make their first selection of the 2021 NFL Draft after a somewhat disappointing finish to last season. So looking forward to that. As always, we greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to Locked on Seahawks. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. When we come back tomorrow, again, we'll be continuing our first-round mock draft, starting with the Raiders at pick number 17, going all the way to the Buccaneers at pick 32. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.